This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. For me, McDonald's is a place I go to get a pick-me-up when I'm feeling down, and the people that make that possible are McDonald's great crew members. Whether they're remembering your usual order or providing fast and friendly service, a huge thanks to McDonald's crew members for making everyone's McDonald's visit special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. The Harker and I are... Codependent. No. I don't lie to my wife. Really? Oh, man, fuck, I didn't know that. That is so sweet. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. And I am Roxana Haddadi. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we are going to be reviewing, discussing, recapping, analyzing Season 2, Episode 3 of The White Lotus, entitled Bull Elephants. Uh, we will not spoil anything from future week's episodes. That includes anything on the next time on preview, anything else that we may or may not have watched. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. You can email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. You can find us on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, at decodingtv. Roxana, one of the great things about doing a podcast such as this is we got some really awesome, thoughtful feedback from folks. So we got some follow-ups, some follow-ups from previous episodes we want to discuss. Um, why don't we start with Jen's email? And okay. uh, do let us know where you're writing in from, folks. Um, but Jen writes into decodingtv at gmail.com about the Harper storyline. Um, she writes, quote, Harper seems to have an intimate and trusting relationship with her husband. Why is it on the rocks right now? I started thinking about what it would be like if out of nowhere my husband suddenly became much richer than me and the bottom fell out of my stomach. I'm a female lawyer in my mid-30s. I have a wonderful husband. We both make about the same amount of okay middle-class money. We make decisions together, respect each other's needs, and treat each other as equals. Looking back, I think I made a lot of choices because I wanted a financially egalitarian marriage, a lot of life choices. While both my parents worked full-time because my dad made more money, it was tacitly accepted that he was entitled to choose what city he and my mom lived in, what friends they had, what church they went to. I think this profoundly impacted my mom's life for the worse. I, and for whatever it's worth, I think a lot of millennial women like me, chose not just a career, but also a partner with the goal of avoiding the trap my mom fell into. Guys who flaunt lots of money have always made me feel queasy. So putting myself in Harper's shoes, I actually find the messy antagonism we see bubbling up in her behavior very sympathetic. Working hard to become an accomplished professional woman only to see your income suddenly dwarfed by your husband's would be very difficult to navigate. The fact that she works in a field which often deals with gendered income equality doesn't seem like an accident. And even though in their conversations, Ethan seems caring and respectful, the money seems to be impacting his expectations of Harper in disturbing ways. He's taking her on this lavish vacation, and in return, she's now supposed to humor this pig of an ex-roommate who insults her life's work and flashes <laughs> his dick at her. No wonder she's looking for ways, albeit imperfect ones, to assert control in the marriage. Viewed through that lens, uh, the dinner scene in season one, episode one, I'm sorry, season two, episode one, is really sad and sinister. They're making a shared decision, what to order, and Harper emphatically states what she wants, but then Ethan suggests fish, something Harper doesn't like. And when Harper registers the disapproval of Cam and his dutiful, obedient wife, rather than sticking up for what she wants or finding a compromise, she does the thing that beholden wives are expected to do in this new milieu and defers to her husband's wishes. I don't know where Harper's storyline is headed, and I'm not super confident in the show's capacity for insight on gender politics. The last season seemed strangely fixated on a distaste for women who hold the purse strings and their emasculated husbands slash sons slash lovers. But it's interesting to see this kind of dynamic in a millennial marriage explored. I look forward to enjoying more of your thoughts on the show as the season unfolds, end quote. Roxana, what do you think of this email? I mean, A, it's very thoughtful. I mean, yes. like, really, really went through the whole range of that relationship. And I, hmm, I think that I, I am a little caught up on whether this behavior is new for Harper and Ethan. Yes. Like how much the money has either exacerbated tensions that were already there or that has just completely created a new dynamic. I don't know if we know enough about them yet to know that. And I think something that's sort of hard for me to wrap my wrap, wrap my mind around is Harper doesn't seem like somebody who derives her value from money. So I think 
sort of understanding whether she is making these choices now because Ethan has so much more money. I just don't know if we have all the details for that yet. But I do think that that sort of lens complicates my uh, assuming that Harper is just being passive aggressive. (laughs) I do think the money aspect of it does sort of complicate it perhaps a little bit more because I just accepted that they had the money and that the money wasn't necessarily an issue. I thought Cam's presence and who he made Ethan sort of revert to was the issue. So I think it could just be that we're like each zoning in on different aspects of the relationship. I completely agree with you, Roxana. I, I think it's a super thoughtful email. And yeah. if that is your interpretation, great. Like, no, I do yeah. not begrudge you that interpretation. It's not my interpretation. Like, I don't think yeah. that the money is is a... I don't think we are meant to assume that the money is a big factor in Harper and Ethan's relationship at this point. Maybe yeah. it will become that in the future. Um, but at this moment, I don't think we have enough textual evidence to make that conclusion. Um, I do think we're supposed to believe that it is on the rocks, though, that it, there are, mm-hmm. are troubling aspects about it. Um, but I don't sense that those are derived from the money. I feel like, um, if anything, the money has helped with their relationship from mm-hmm. what we found, found in episode two. Um, so those are my thoughts. But we really appreciate the email, Jen. And please keep writing in to uh, decodingtv at gmail.com with your thoughts. Ron from Los Angeles, California, writes in to decodingtv at gmail.com. Uh, about my comments at the end of uh, season two, episode one, about that scene where Dominic uh, has sex with the uh, with Lucia, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, quote, regarding your sense that the show had a conservative, maybe even judgmental gaze at the hookup between Dominic and Lucia, I agree we're supposed to look at it with judgment, but not as an indictment of sex work, rather the disingenuousness of Dominic. He tries to tell his wife he still cares for her and he wants to make amends, yet we learn that he obviously ordered Lucia's service well in advance, and how repentant can he really be if he's having sex with a hooker in the room right next to his son? I think it's a safe bet that sex and relationships will play a huge role in storylines this season. I'd love to hear your other Gottman-related observations on how the characters interact with each other. You could make a whole segment on the show, LOL. Keep up the great work, end quote. Uh, this is a great email. I think it makes way more sense. Like the first episode and the final sequence makes way more sense now mm-hmm. <laughs> after like the events of the last couple episodes. Um, so I appreciate this thing about Ron, uh, th- this message from Ron. And I also had another Gottman observation to point out that I, I meant to point it out last week. I didn't. And I wanted to bring it up this week. Um, for those who don't recall, uh, the Gottmans are a legendary pair of uh marriage slash relationship counselors and they their techniques and their um, insights are well known throughout the uh, therapy psychology industry Um, and one of their observations is is that uh, fighting in a marriage or relationship is normal Mm -hmm. Um, and arguably no fighting can be a, a red flag uh, the most important thing about a fight is how you resolve it. And that came to mind because last week we learned that uh, Cam and Daphne basically don't fight. Uh, and I meant to bring this up like, oh, that's actually a bad sign. And I think uh, we learned definitively this episode that it's it definitely papers over some of the things. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, before we move on from emails, uh, Roxanne, I just wanted to see if you had anything else to say uh, about any of the topics we've discussed so far. I don't think so. I mean, I'm really excited to get this sort of feedback and to sort of be able to incorporate it into our conversation. So keep it coming. Yeah. DecodingTV at gmail.com. Or you can also uh, comment at youtube.com slash DecodingTV. We'll we'll look at those as well. Okay, Roxana, let's get to season two, episode three, Bull Elephants. Uh, Before we even get to overall thoughts, what I want to know is... Last week, I proposed a theory whereby uh, it's not it's not the most insightful, groundbreaking theory, but I just basically said, "Hey, uh, I think that when the person's name, the the actor's name, appears on screen during the opening credits, it is meant to provide some kind of indication of what kind of person they are mm-hmm. in the show." Uh, and you did not notice that as of last week, but then you took a look this week, and I am so curious. Do you agree that what I was saying is true? Yeah. I mean, I, I was very intentional this time around. I paused. Mm-hmm. I made sure to, you know, check it out. I, I do think you're right. I think that some of the names are a little more dramatic than others. Like Theo James, when his name pops up, 
we see a statue with very small genitalia. And I believe Aubrey Plaza's is a bird pecking another bird. So they're they're really they're really yeah. intentional and deliberate. Yeah, no, no name when uh, woman having sex with goose though. So uh, yeah, I, which is I, I really took, unfortunate. I, I looked out for that. Yeah, I really wanted something there, but yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I think that's clever. I also you bringing it up and me watching it brought back some vague memory of I think the first season credits did this also mm. because I seem to have some memory of when Steve Zahn's name came up. I think we saw rotting fruit. That looked very much like testicles. I see. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. So yeah. it's not new. Um, it's not new, but, but it's uh, you know it's, it's a theme. It's fun. It's fun to watch it and like imagine what they were trying to communicate with the painting. Yes. Basically. So, and I think then it benefits from noticing it like the second or the third episode once those characterizations are in play and you can sort of put the pieces together. All right. Let's talk about overall thoughts on season two, episode three. What do you think, Roxana? So much happened in this episode. I, I think I know. That this, For, forget this... about what we said before about like, oh, they're just table setting and just getting ready. Yeah. They're, we cannot make that complaint anymore, Roxana. Like, there is a lot going on. But I yeah, think there's a lot going on. I mean, there's a lot going on with the Harper, Ethan, Cam, Daphne foursome. And I think in this episode, we got a lot of the hidden layers of those relationships, at least for Cam and Daphne. I'm not sure if we still know who Harper and Ethan are outside mm-hmm. of this trip. But we certainly learn who Cam and Daphne are outside of this trip. And it's sort of sad. It actually like made me a little upset uh, at a few different moments. And then, yes, we get the Tanya-Greg drama. And I think a little bit of a sneak peek as to where Tanya's story could go. Sort of like some gingerbread crumbs about what could be next. But yeah, this felt like a lot of the things that we had seen in the first two episodes sort of looping together and an attack on the Godfather, the best movie ever made that, you know, I hate Albie forever now. So that was fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? What did you think? I, uh, I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, a lot going on and I think we're really like this episode feels like it's setting up basically the conflicts for the rest of the season. Like this, yeah. this feels like, we're going to spend the rest of the season dealing with what happened this episode. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like probably one of the more eventful episodes. So I liked it a lot. Um, a lot of interesting things that I think the show is trying to say. Right. Um, and one of them being relationships that look good on the outside can often have like a darker seedier hidden side to them right uh, sure and and i think we all know that implicitly but like to see it illustrated so vividly is something that the show can give us um so i liked it i i, I thought it was really um intense shocking upsetting episode so there is there is something that i am beginning to worry about but i think we can talk about it at the end of the episode okay all right yeah. well I'll, I'll try to make a note of the thing that you roxana is starting to worry about uh, let us start with Bert and Dom and Albie and kind of Portia. It's morning after Dom has had uh, a night of partying. He has woken up with Lucia next to him in bed. Mia's on the couch. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that Mia didn't sleep with Dom, but Lucia did. And he hustles the women out of the room. He pays them, uh, but not before Bert is able to see them in yeah, the hallway. Bert notices. Yeah, he notices. <laughs> and also understands them to be prostitutes and interrogates uh, Dom about it. And Dom's like, right. hey, do me a favor. Please don't tell Albie about it because he's trying to prove to Albie that he's not a piece of shit. Um, so really, really needs his help there. So we learned that Bert booked a Godfather-related day tour uh, with shooting locations from when Michael Corleone was in Sicily and fell in love with Apollonia. They invite Portia along, and there is a, a tension because uh, Portia has said that she wants Albie to be a little bit more aggressive uh, in her in his courting of her. And Albie is like, you're coming along. That's me being more aggressive. And I guess she was <laughs> like, I, I felt her thinking in her head, okay, but not like that. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, anyway, so they go on this tour. And I really appreciated that 
what the show did in the visual language of the show because um the show wanted to show you a clip from the godfather <laughs> and but there's no way for the show to cut away to a clip from the godfather in universe because that wouldn't make any sense it's not a documentary it's not whatever so what they did is they go to like the gift shop or whatever at this location and they show two random strangers watching the tv which just happens to be playing the godfather and I was like, wow, that is a really creative way of showing Godfather B-roll in this, in this TV show. Um, so bravo show. You found a workaround to get the Godfather footage in there. Uh, a conversation ensues about uh, the, let's say, differences in which, uh, in the ways in which uh, Gen Z and older generations perceive gender roles. That's how, mm-hmm. probably the most innocuous way I can put it. With Bert and Dom very much being, let's say, uh, old school misogynists, and oh, I'll be trying no. to. Okay, okay, no. all right, all right, and no. I'll be trying to put forward a more egalitarian vision of what a relationship can be. Okay, but man, Roxana is really like uh, on the anti Albi train. But go ahead. I am. What are your th- yes? Okay, I, I am. I am defending these these poor old men who need my, oh my defending. God. Um, no, oh my I God. just think I just think that Albi. <laughs> I just don't like that Albie attacks the Godfather to do this. That's really my Mm -hmm. problem with this entire conversation. Because I think, okay, because to sort of go back to what we were talking about in preceding episodes, I think Albie is very consumed with how things look or how things seem. So sometimes I think that he just has this superficial reading of well, X is this one thing because people perceive it to be this one thing. So I just think that Albie could dig a little deeper in his media literacy. That's all I'm saying. I'm contractually obligated to defend the Godfather at all times. Wow. All time. I, yeah. I, I do think there is this trend online these days of people saying, oh my gosh, do you know how problematic John Wayne yes. was? You know, and it's like, yes. okay, like, yes, thank yeah. you. I it do know different... that, actually. Yes. <laughs> it's I like, mean, it's it was the, a different... <laughs> it's, it's Scorsese going viral, like, every two months. Because mm-hmm. people are like, he only made gangster movies, right? So I just, I imagine I'll be in, like, a <laughs> film course seminar mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about how we really should reconsider our societal appreciation of Martin Scorsese. And I hate that person. So I'm sorry. But, uh, but yeah. But you are right that this is a larger, I mean, we're sort of using The Godfather for this larger conversation about what men expect, what Albie thinks men expect. And so he is sort of looking to Bert and he is looking to Dom and he is saying, you know, yes, you two were married, but you thought your wives would provide for you and you could do whatever you wanted because you brought home more money. So there is, there is this discussion again happening as to who holds the power in a relationship. Is it financial? Is it by some other currency with which we use, you know, in relationships to sort of balance out the scales or whatever. So I think Albie is sort of taking this financial point of view. And I think Bert and Dom are sort of sidestepping the question and saying, well, what do you want to do with like men like us? Do you throw us away? Like what, what happens? Um, And season one did this too, right? I mean, again, like Connie Britton's character in season one was asking like, okay, she was asking Olivia, like, if you don't like your father or if you don't have hope for your younger brother, what happens to those men? What do you do? And I think the season is again hammering that home within the three generations of this family. Totally. I I didn't find anything really objectionable what Albie had to say other than this, you know, other than that it kind of fits into this trend of critique that's like, did you know old thing problematic? And it's like, okay, yes, yes, but like it was made at a different time under a different context. And it's not super useful to, to observe that social mores change over time, you know? So, right. um, But other than that, I thought he was right. He said, I think you have the quote here, right? Um, uh, Men love the Godfather because they feel emasculated by modern society. It's a fantasy about a time when they could go out and solve their problems with violence and sleep with every woman and come home to their wife who doesn't ask them any question and makes them pasta End quote. Okay, first of all, that's an incorrect read of the film because not everyone in that film cheats on their wife. So that's just wrong. I mean, like, watch the movie. I I will grant you that. I will grant you that. That's incorrect. Second of all, Clemenza makes the sauce and the pasta. So again, I mean, 
Albie watch the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think... I am begging you to watch The Godfather, I'm Albie. begging you to watch the movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, this is like the Goodfellas conversation. This is the Fight mm-hmm. Club conversation. This is the, this thing is doing this thing and I don't like it. It's sort of a refusal. Okay, here's what I'll say. I think for Albie, it is a refusal to look inward, right? It's just the surface of this thing bothers me or offends me. And because this thing is bothersome and offensive, I don't think I can be part of that, right? Like, I, surely I wouldn't be doing these behaviors that I find objectionable in other people. So I just think it's a little bit of a tell for us, especially in his relationship with Portia, um, how Albie views himself. Again, and we know this, he thinks he's a nice guy. So I just think it's of a type with that sort of read of himself that we're getting. And I mean, again, like, I love F. Murray Abraham and his line readings because I like the, they used to respect the old, now we're just reminders of an offensive past everybody wants to forget. Again, speaking to what do you do with us then? Like, is there any hope for the old white man? Yeah, and I don't think season one really had an answer for that question. No. You know? And I don't know that season two will either. No. Um, but it's Who certainly. Knows? I mean, we don't know. It. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe yeah. maybe Mike White has developed kind of his, his opinion on that. His um, theory, his uh, new yeah. Chuck Palahniuk style theory. I'm just going to say, I think Albie's heart is in the right place and he chose the wrong movie to apply his thoughts to. Okay. If he'd chosen like some 80s movies, you know? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I would have been much more supportive, but I, I would my agree man was you... talking about like weird science, I'd be like, you yes. know what, Albie? You have oh, a point. Yes. Totally. John don't Hughes's go... gaze was yes. a little bad. Don't go but... after the Godfather, though. Don't so, come anyway. for Francis Ford Coppola. Like, yes. that's not good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Portia is whisked away. We'll talk about her in a little bit. But anyway, mm-hmm. they go back to the White Lotus and Dom... It's very important to Dom that Albie thinks okay of him. He actually puts Albie in like a terrible situation. He's like, your mom listens to you. Tell her that I'm sorry. And it's like, dude, like, that's awful. Like what to ask a kid to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, And then Dom makes the point that he's always supported women. He's a feminist. And uh, Albie's mom's a feminist. So problem solved. Um, Uh, Here's an important question that, again, I don't know if the White Lotus has an answer for. Is it feminist to employ sex workers? I think, okay, I think this is a good question, right? Like, is it inherently misogynistic or right. whatever to, to, uh, to you, to, um, pay for the service of sex workers? And I think that in the context of Dominic, the answer is that it is not good for him mm-hmm. because of his sex addiction or because, um, it will cause him to spiral in other ways. So in a way, I I don't know that we're we are we are done. We have the totality of what the show's views on sex work are yet. Right. But I think in the context of Dominic, um, it is very reasonable, and I don't think an objectionable point of view to be, to to understand that it's not a good idea for Dom to to have sex workers in his room every night mm-hmm. um, because it's. It um, it's not the kind of image he wants to pro- project for his son, and it is also bad for him physically and for his dependency issues. Right, um, so that that's kind of where I feel like it's coming down on mm-hmm. in terms of Dawn's circumstance specifically. But w- what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think this is this is complicated, and I don't know if I have an answer either. I mean, I think my read of the show sort of presenting it as shameful is because I think that we see how much his relationships with other women hurt his family and hurt his wife. Mm -hmm. So I think we're operating from this basis of Dom doing these things is harmful to someone else. So I think there's that on the one hand. And then I think on the other hand, with the sex workers themselves, and we can talk about this more later on, I think that they too are sort of presented as complicated, like complicated by this, not sure if they want to keep doing it. Like Mia right. is so offended, right? In the preceding episode yeah. when the piano player thought she was a prostitute. So I, I just think that I, I don't know if the show has figured out a way to show these young women as empowered 
I think that we're still sort of operating within this framework where sex work is something that should be hidden or looked down upon or even scandalous. I mean, I think of how um, like Cam reacts when he sees them, right? It's sort of like a nudge, nudge, like look at those hookers, right? Like he calls them hookers. Like it's not, you know, he doesn't see it as something that is these women in business for themselves and sort of making their own choices. He sees them as people he can take advantage of. So I just, I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, depiction is not endorsement, of course, but I just don't know if the show depicting these men, uh, sort of, I don't want to say praying, but these men sort of being able to, um, like divest themselves from these women at will. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the show has figured out a way to present that that doesn't inherently seem like the women are also being insulted. Yeah. Maybe that's too maybe that's too thinky, but I just I'm maybe, not sure. Maybe that yeah. The show's I mean, I figured it out. My my guess is where it's going is like because we have spent so much time with Mia and Lucia, like they're mm-hmm. they're going to try to spin it as like a kind of uh uh, means towards empowerment uh, to some degree is my guess as to where it's going, but I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. We're yeah, only three know. episodes uh, into se- seven episode season. So, right. And um, we don't get as much time with them as we get with everybody else, like on their own in general. We, we got like a, a bunch of time in se- episode one, but less time mm-hmm. in this episode. So, and, and, and episode two. Okay. Um, let's talk briefly about Portia. She's whisked back to the white Lotus uh, and, has to engage with Tanya. We'll talk a little bit more about Tanya later, but there's a scene at the end mm-hmm. of the episode where, uh, I mean, t- Tanya, sorry, Tanya basically says to Portia, don't get involved with emotionally unavailable men. I think it's a yes. comment, like Portia is complaining about Albie, like, oh, he's a little too nice, right? Isn't he too nice? And then Tanya's like, don't get involved with emotionally unavailable men. I, I took that to mean, it's okay if they're nice. Like you don't want the bad yes. boys. That was kind of what I yes. interpreted that as, right? I thought it was sort of ambiguous, but I did think Tanya was telling her, you know, you'll waste time with someone who doesn't tell you what they want. Albie doesn't light Portia on fire, but he wants to spend time with her. He wanted to kiss her. Like he is present in yes. a way that I think Tanya thinks at this point Greg is not. They there's a scene by the pool where Porsche's hanging out by the pool. I think she, we are meant to assume that she's attracted to this guy who's pretty buff. The random guy at the pool. Random guy at the pool. Yeah. Albie comes and he's like, hey, do you want to hang out? And she's like, no, I'm, I'm good. And he's like, well, I'll walk you back to your room then. And she's like, okay. But, you know, she really wanted to stick around and hit on this guy. Keeps I think. looking back right. at pool guy. I think she right. looks back at pool guy like twice. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where that plot line wraps up. So I, I, it doesn't seem like, you know, I, I have no idea who Pool Guy is. Maybe Pool Guy is the most present, nice person in the world. But so far, it doesn't seem like she's following Tanya's advice. Does Pool Guy look like the most present, nice guy in the world? Like, look, no offense judge, to Pool Guy. I don't judge based on, I mean, he is, uh, he has a very nicely sculpted body. I mean, Pool I, Guy I is judge. very tattooed. Pool Guy is very rakish. I have a long history of being attracted to troublemaking Pool Guys. And he seems mm-hmm. like a troublemaking Pool Guy. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, this man looks like a like I think don't the UK have like those like footballer wives shows? He looks like one of the footballers. Mm. That's mm. the read that I'm getting. Okay. Well, um we'll see how it all plays out, but for now it doesn't see it doesn't seem like uh Porsche's that into Albi, unfortunately. No. So, uh and no. curious to see what conflicts that might generate in the future. So, that is uh, the Bert Dom Albi storyline along with Portia. Let's take a break and talk about our sponsor. This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by McDonald's, proudly serving communities since 1965. And it's no surprise here at Decoding TV, we absolutely love the idea of community. Uh, over the last decade, I have really worked hard to build communities of people who love pop culture, who love TV, who love movies. Um, and who can watch these shows together collectively, bond over them by listening to the podcast and in the comments at our website and so on and so forth. Uh, and it's really been a great time. And we're already starting to see it with this show with some of the feedback we got even on um, on the last couple of episodes over at DecodingTV at gmail.com. So I'm really proud and excited for Decoding TV to partner with McDonald's because McDonald's truly cares about fostering a sense of community. 
through their incredible crew members. McDonald's crew members work hard to make you feel like you're right at home when you stop into a McDonald's. Uh, whenever I go to a McDonald's, I have one right down the street. I literally went today. I literally went today. <laughs> McDonald's. Okay. And you know why I went to McDonald's, Roxana, is because the McRib is having a uh, a farewell party. Okay. Uh, but... you know, this is going to be one of the final times that the McRib is, is available, apparently. One of the final and, times. Okay. I mean, I'm just going by what it says in the McDonald's sure. app, which I check the every McRib day. The so, McRib is delicious. So it is. I, I agree. Literally went today to get a McRib. And when you go to McDonald's, you know, at, at least at my local one, I'm always impressed by how fast and friendly the crew members are. I get my food quickly with a smile. And it's been a real comfort for me over the course of the last couple of years. So whether you know that one crew member who always remembers that you like your Big Mac with an extra pickle or the crew member who always greets you in the drive through with a warm smile, thank you, McDonald's crew members everywhere for making our McDonald's visits even more special. McDonald's, I'm loving it. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring Decoding TV. Um, okay. Can I ask a question about the McRib? Could yes, you? Please. Does it come with pickles or could you add pickles? It does. Pickles? It came with pickles and onions. Okay. I would add yeah. more pickles. This is yeah, very yeah. important. Yeah, 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 yeah. It had a good number of pickles on it. So anyway. Delicious. Uh, all right. Let's move on. So one other storyline we mentioned was Tanya and Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, we t- talked last week about how Greg is uh, possibly cheating. We don't know exactly don't know. what's going well, on. He's at least lying. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Totally. He's at uh, least but lying. they have a very tense confrontation at uh, breakfast and... Uh, more feelings come out and um, and we kind of learn a little bit more about the stuff that happened in the time since last season, right? Yeah. Tanya helped Greg to get some doctors and Greg got better. That's why they're not talking about Greg dying all the time. Right. Um, and Tanya offers like, hey, do you want me to get rid of the prenup? And Greg's like, no, you know. Um, Greg acknowledges that he has had issues in his love life as well. He has been married four times, a fact that really upsets Tanya because the fourth time is with Tanya. So you don't talk right. about it like that unless it's in the past tense generally. Yeah. So it's pretty sad. And then he gets up and kind of goes away. And that's when Tanya descends into depression and calls Portia to come back with her. Um, any thoughts on the Tanya-Greg confrontation? Well, I thought that it it again sort of brought up this question of money. I mean, I think we we sort of knew... Well, we do know that Tanya is worth, what, like $500 million? I mean, she's worth an exceptional amount of money. We knew that Greg was not worth that. He's, what, like a federal worker. Um, But I thought, again, this sort of sense of, well, I paid for this thing for you. Uh, I don't want to say in happy relationships that stuff doesn't matter. But sort of in happy relationships that stuff doesn't matter but it seems like it is a bargaining chip here right i mean i think Mm -hmm. yeah did did greg marry her for access to that or was that sort of a beneficial thing that happened in the time that they were married i don't i don't know but again that sense of did tanya save this man's life and now he's lying to her and leaving her that's all really messy and i think again sort of gets to that point of um what is a true partnership and sort of what do you offer to each other in a true partnership? And mm-hmm. if you're keeping score, doesn't that inherently mean something is bad and something yeah. is off? And, yeah, all and of how the does money score? How, how does money complexify a partnership too? I think yeah. it's kind of what we're seeing with this storyline as well as with um, the Ethan Harper storyline, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's complicated and Greg leaves we don't find out exactly who Greg is going to or no. what he do, what he's doing. But um, uh, Tanya hires a fortune teller. The fortune teller basically says exactly what we as the audience think might be going on, which is that Greg is cheating on her. Uh, and Tanya dismisses the fortune teller because she's like, you're too negative and it goes really poorly. Um, that night at dinner, uh, a an actor that has been in, I think, top build status in the opening credits finally appears for like five seconds. Yes. Tom Hollander is one yes. of like the top build actors on the show. And I don't even think we've glimpsed him in the first two no. episodes. Um, no. I don't, maybe he's been in the background for like, a sh- I don't know. But certainly there was, I don't recall. And no. uh, he is appears at, at the end of this episode. He's looking at Tanya, smiling at Tanya, kind of flirting with Tanya. He he and his table of dudes are doing so. And mm-hmm. I'm like, 
okay, I'm really curious what Tom Holland is doing in this show because super talented guy, can play a scumbag very very well. Um, so I'm curious to see where that's going. Any other thoughts on the Tanya storyline, Roxana? Um, just that I thought that it was very effective to make me feel very sorry for Tanya in this horrible breakfast confrontation where Greg basically tells her he's ashamed of her, right? I mean, Greg, again, is like very contemptuous and resentful. And I felt so bad. And then the next scene for her to have this like horrible American view of a fortune teller and use terms that like, for example, the Roma do not use to describe themselves just to have the 180 of me feeling badly for Tanya as a person who is clearly going through something very troubling and upsetting. And then immediately me hating Tanya for being the stereotype of the rich white American woman. Uh, that was really well done. I, uh, I appreciated that emotional gamut. <laughs> Agreed. And uh, that's something that the show is pretty good at. I think it's taking yeah. you all the way from like sympathy to hatred within a, you know, a few moments. Uh, that's one of the things I like about the show. So that's the Tanya Gregg storyline. This mm-hmm. episode. Now let's get to the main meat of it. There's so much. Harper and Ethan, Daphne and Cam, and then Ethan, Cam, Harper and Daphne, right? Right. So Harper tries to seduce Ethan the next morning. We see Ethan kind of in an opening shot. He's going on his run and Harper tries to, you know, dress sexily and pose in bed. Um, But Ethan really not picking up what she's putting down. Um, And at this point, Harper's like, you know what? I'm going to be so fun. I'm going to be so agreeable. I'm not going to be a shrew anymore. Right. Like, I'm going to be the fun person that you want me to be. I'm not going to be the pecking bird from the opening credits. Which is is amazing because you just know that Harper is going to get into situations that uh, what I – this is my – like – Aubrey Plaza MVP throughout this whole episode, in my opinion, because Mm -hmm. it is very difficult, in my opinion, to play somebody who is pretending to be okay with everything. Yes. (laughs) You know, she's she's playing someone who is okay with everything, but you know that deep down she is not. There is a lot of subtlety in that performance that I think comes out through Aubrey Plaza's facial expressions. And it's hard. It's like a very thin line to walk mm-hmm. and i think she does a great job of it but yeah she's like i'm gonna have fun everything's gonna be great that's sort we'll of the Ari well plaza like special though i think that mm-hmm. that sort of character the layers of performance is what she does well i mean ingrid goes west she does that i don't know if you saw black bear that's the movie where she's mm. playing an actress sort of playing herself playing an actress it's very mm-hmm. meta layered um, but Aubrey Plaza is great at this. This sort of purposeful facetiousness is one of her go-tos. Indeed. So at breakfast, Daphne says that she wants to go to Noto, a Baroque-style town in Sicily. But Cam wants to go jet skiing. So uh, there is a conflict. And, you know, Cam basic, Daphne basically says, okay, fine. I'll go to Noto myself. Like, right. I'll just do it myself. Um, I, don't need, I don't need Cam to come along. And then she invites Harper to go along with them. And Ethan kind of encourages it because maybe he thinks it'll be fun for both parties if uh, if this is how it goes. So, Did you actually think he thought that? Um, no, probably. It's probably he just, like, probably he just like wanted a... to like do something fun with Cam. That's probably yes, what he wanted. It felt like yes. sort of volunteering someone who had been irritating him. Like, yeah, you go do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Fair yeah. enough. So Ethan and Cam hang out. Yes. Uh, they start drinking and then then the truth start dropping, right? We learn exactly why it is Cam wanted Ethan to come on this trip. Mm-hmm. Um, Cam is proud that Ethan has made a lot of money, but he's disappointed that Ethan didn't tip him off about the sale of his company um, because until it was too late for Cam right. to do anything. Right. Now... Uh, what he's referring to is insider trading. Yes. And yeah, very casually. Very casually. And, very casually. Yeah. And you, it's it's fun to see like Ethan kind of realize what's going on because he's like, well, that's illegal. You know, like, right. and, and he understands like how over the line Cam is. Um, I want to tell you. Uh, let me let me ask you a question. You, you, are you a full time employee at, at Vulture? Is that mm-hmm. is that okay? Yeah, you're a full time employee. Mm-hmm. When you became a full time employee, did they make you watch any training videos? 
I honestly don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. Well, I've been a full-time employee at corporations such as Microsoft and Amazon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to watch a lot of training videos, Roxanne. Sure. You know, um, because these are uh, multi-billion dollar conglomerates and there's many ways they like you to do things. And, um, right. and they want to make sure that you have an understanding of what those are. One of the most vivid videos I've ever seen in my life was a Microsoft Insider Trading trading video. Oh, my God. Um, and basically what they did for this trading video was they interviewed a guy who had done insider trading. <laughs> like what, what he had, he had worked at Microsoft and he had like tipped some friends off and they had made like hundreds of thousands of dollars from some Microsoft news before it like went live. and. It was an interview with the guy and basically he's like, yeah, I, I lost my job. I went to jail for several years. Um, I like basically can't be employed. Like I had a great career. I was making a lot of money and now it's all gone, you know? And I was like, wow, I can't believe they got this guy to like talk about it for Microsoft. Um, but maybe it was like his way of atoning for, you know, what he had done. Um, but for me, it was just like, oh, wow. Like that's not something I ever want to do because there's yeah. nothing – the risk is so – like, if you are in a position where you can be insider trading, where you can either know the information or take advantage of the information, you're making a lot of money already. Sure. You are not doing badly, right? Why risk it all to make just a tiny bit more money? It doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense to me, right? The the downside is so catastrophic, um, and all you got to do is just not – do illegal just things. Don't. Now, just don't I, do the insider training. <laughs> I don't come from this culture. Like, so maybe there's like, you know, I'm sure there's like millions or thousands of cams out there that do this stuff all I'm the time. Sure. But like, yeah. but um, from what I saw, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And um, so I have, I have when, two, Cam, was, I have when, when Cam was saying this, like, you should have just told me the information. I could have done something. Like alarm bells are screaming in my sure. brain. Like, Ethan, run. GTFO, get out of there. Like, don't look back. Danger, man. You're in danger. You don't you you shouldn't even be associating with this guy. You know? Um, so thank you for listening to my extremely long talk about insider trading. Uh what were your thoughts on this whole scene? Uh well, I I have a question about the insider trading yes. thing. Did did the video show the person or was it like a 48 hours were like there in like a silhouette and like their no, voice it was through like, a vocoder. You saw the person's face. They talked wow. frankly about all the stuff they'd done. It was like, I, it was like one of the most effective training videos I've ever seen as evidenced by the fact that I can still recall it like many, many yeah. years later. So, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the reality is that this happens all the time. Right. I mean, I think that was why it was a shock that Martha Stewart went to prison because mm-hmm. this happens all the time. And Mm -hmm. Martha came out and it was fine. Like people respected Martha for doing the time. (laughs) So I, I, yeah, as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh no, I can't believe this is what's happening. But then this conversation sort of gets a counterpart when Harper and Daphne are talking, right? So I thought it was interesting to see the variety of reactions here. Ethan is clearly shocked, right? Ethan is like, why would you even bring this up to me? Like, I wouldn't help you. And and it's clear that Cam and Ethan have not been in touch. Like, they haven't maintained a friendship. Right. Yeah. So I think this is actually very manipulative and thoughtfully manipulative on Cam's part to be like, hey, man, why didn't you tell me? To imply that there was this sort of like There's deep an expectation. bond. Right. Yeah, that Ethan should have been aware of. Like it's very it's a very thoughtful deflection from Cam. Um and then, you know, later on well, Cam's also get... like Cam's also like uh when Ethan's like, "Well, you know, um he Ethan eventually like tries to get out of the the conversation. Right. He's like, "Okay, I'm sorry about that." And he's like and Cam's like, "It's okay. Next time." Yeah. And I'm like yeah. I'm like, "F you, Cam. Like you're such a piece of shit. Like Yeah. Freaking hate this guy. Hate this guy. And that was before the end of the episode. He sucks. But (laughs) here's another thing I'll say. At what point should Ethan do anything about this? Right? Ethan has sort of brushed off the fact that Cam showed his wife his dick. Right? Like Ethan was, Ethan like brushed that off. Ethan brushes this off when I would think you should probably leave. 
So I also think, I don't know how intentional this is on the part of the show, but I did keep thinking, why are you staying on this vacation? Why haven't you left? You're First of all, you're talking to the wrong guy, Roxana, because <laughs> you I have stayed. very few. No, no. I have very few social graces. I would have mm. I, I, I would have prevented this trip at the root and not even gone on it. Not even because gone. Because I would not believe in going <laughs> on a trip with someone who I don't know that well, like in this yeah. situation. I barely will go on trips with people I know. Yeah. Okay? I'm not going to go on trips with someone I don't know or who thinks they're my friend who's going to be a poser or phony or whatever. Like, that's but just not in my think, DNA. Don't you think this is an unanswered question from the show? Why would Ethan agree to go? And why would he stay on this trip? given all of these things that Cam keeps doing that are, like, sort of messed up. I don't I know. I think, uh, yeah, I, I agree that we have no explicit answer as of this point. I think, yeah. um, uh, I'll just throw out a few guesses. You know, maybe sure. maybe Ethan is lonely. You know, he's uh, he's been working hard at a startup and, you know, things with his wife aren't going super great. And right. Maybe he's lonely, and so any friendship is like useful to him or good to him. You know, it's like so a life raft. Yeah, it's like a life raft. Um, uh, another explanation is, um, you know, maybe he finds like Cam and Daphne like aspirational to some degree before this trip. Like he's like, like oh, they've they're... been living with money; they seem happy. Right. Like yeah. maybe I can learn a thing or two from them about life or about money or something. You know. So sure. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's there's no real clear answer yet. Or does Ethan um, so. just avoid conflict? I mean, we also potentially see that with Harper, right? Like he sort of lets her get like complaints out of her system and sort of like doesn't encourage her. So so just just more questions and observations to add to the Ethan Harper relationship, really. Yeah. Um I, I don't know if we talked about like the movie Speak No Evil. Did we talk about that? On, on uh, we, yes, I think we did. Yeah. I think you mentioned. Yeah, so it. speak no, speak no evil is about uh, is a is a story about um, it's on Shutter, streaming right now on Shutter, mm-hmm. and um, it's about this uh, couple that has a kid, and they invite another couple with a kid out to their right. house in the middle of the woods or whatever to hang out, and then as time goes on, like increase things are increasingly offensive, but the the couple doesn't say anything or doing it, you know, like because I think people are inclined to avoid conflict and. Sure, um, and keep the peace, and maybe Ethan's just doing that. For me, I don't have any of that. You know, I don't have. I have very little of that in me. And um, if if someone like Cam said that to me, we I might not leave the trip and go home, but I would probably not talk to them again. I'd probably yeah. be like, um, they'd be like, "Hey, you want to go to breakfast? No, good. Yeah, but you're gonna, just have gonna fun get on service. your part of this trip. Yes, exactly. Have fun on your part of this trip. Exactly right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so I guess. Should we t- should we talk about the Ethan Cam storyline all the way to the end? Yeah, like, I think so. They, I mean, that's sort go, of the begin first tell that things are going to go bad. Right? They go jet I mean, skiing. That, yeah, um, yeah. There's they that have conversation. A blast. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. they there's that conversation. They jet ski, right? And the jet ski becomes this: how do we work out our aggressions against each other? Sort of game of chicken, which is very beautifully shot. Uh, mm-hmm. As they're sort of, you know, churning through the water, and we get some overhead shots of them racing toward each other, and then well, after it, that, it's sorry, intercut. Please. It's intercut with Daphne and Harper talking about how much it sinks to be a man, yes, and how how it must be so lonely. And mm-hmm. we see these guys like having a blast on jet skis, and you know, I think we can take a couple messages from it. Like number one, oh, it can be very fun and enjoyable to be a guy and and to be able to do stuff like this. But maybe there is a um, hollowness to this kind of way of relating to each other that's very, like, superficial. Well, there's, like, an inherent competition, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're literally facing off against each other and trying to see who will eventually be scared enough to veer away, uh, which is Ethan, which is not a surprise, really. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this sort of speaks to my fear for the end of – that we can talk about at the end of the episode – but yeah, so Ethan and Cam do this whole like game of chicken jet ski thing. And then I believe it's right after that that Cam is like, we should party, right? It's pretty soon after. Yeah, yeah. And they, they well, they have dinner and mm-hmm. uh, they talk about cheating. And Cam's like, everyone does it. 
don't you know everyone does it? You should cheat. And then mm-hmm. Ethan's like, um, I don't think so. That's not what I do. And Kim's like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you sweet summer child. <laughs> yeah. So sinister. Um, when you played that mm-hmm. clip at the beginning of the episode, I was like, this is so just feels nefarious, mm-hmm. both in mm-hmm. and out of context. <laughs> yeah. So they basically have a huge party. Yeah, uh, they invite Lucy and Mia over to their place, and Ethan, you can tell, is like really torn the whole night about what to do. But he does eventually decline Mia's coming on to him, mm-hmm. and uh, and but we do see Cam is having really um, uh, a lot of fun, you know, yeah. during the course of the night. So, and that's where the episode kind of ends is uh, with Ethan ignoring a call from his wife, and really just I think. Being like, I made a huge tiny mistake. I should have never gotten myself into this situation. <laughs> that was kind yeah, of my and, read on it. Yeah. And why did he open the door? Mm-hmm. Right? Because he was alone in his own suite yeah. and they weren't there. And then he acquiesced and opened the door. So a lot of this is clearly regression back to college antics and that sort of sense of uh, Ethan is now very, very rich and should be very, very powerful. But sort of acquiesces to seemingly acquiesces to whatever cam wants to do while increasingly sort of denying what harper wants to do so it's this weird sort of i don't think he's necessarily mimicking cam but he's also not stopping cam from sort of like running a little roughshod all over him so actually i think ethan is very fascinating although he's sort of so quiet and the performance yes. is so constrained just because like, I don't understand his thinking. And I find mm-hmm. that really interesting. He is a little bit inscrutable. If I had yeah. to guess, if I had to guess, I would say that Ethan and Harper have probably lived an extremely grounded down to earth, earth life until now mm-hmm. with standard traditions and morals that uh, many of us are familiar with. And now that Ethan is crazy rich, um, he wants to understand experience how the other half lives or at least understand it. And maybe that's why he opens the door. That's kind of how I read it. So anyway, um, we talked a little bit about Harper and Daphne, but basically uh, they go to this place, Noto. And then she's like, let's just rent the place. And Daphne's like, let's just rent the place and stay here. And I I already rented it. (laughs) I already rented it. And and I loved like Harper. You could tell like inside she's like screaming, like she really, But she's like, no, 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 no. I promised that'd be fun. So I'm just going to say yes to everything that happens, right? And it was beautiful. The place, yeah. Yeah. But you could tell that's not the place you would have wanted to stay. Like, that was my Because she's like, what about my stuff? And she's like, oh, you can use my tooth. I brought this extra toothbrush. It's like, I don't want to use your extra toothbrush. Like, (laughs) you know, I have a whole, like, setup for when I go to sleep, Roxana. You know, I'm very high maintenance. So, you know, you're not going to everything is just red flags all up and down with like, Hey, let's just spontaneously stay at this place overnight that I didn't tell you about. Um, but that that's feels really lonely. Me. Doesn't it feel really, it feels like such an expression of loneliness from Daphne mm-hmm. to have orchestrated all of this. Right. I mean, I think that Daphne is more self-aware than we are allowing her to be. And I think that she sort of knows that Harper got strong armed into this, but I think she is desperate for someone to talk to. And that sort of plays out later in the episode. Yeah, I mean, we found out we find out that uh, Daphne is playing some bizarre sex game with Cam. Basically, is what's going on. Did you on, think right? it was a sex game? I mean, I'm just using that term more generically, but yes, it's she's playing some weird power struggle power yeah, game with like with a Cam, dominance you know? sort of mind game yes. right like i'm going to do the thing that he i'm gonna make him feel fomo i'm gonna like he is like the submissive to me you know and right there i'm like you know if again if it was me in this situation i would be literally like i'm going back to the hotel sorry like goodbye you know like i'm not i want no part of this whatever you guys have going on i do hmm. not want to be in the middle of it um, okay. Maybe that's what this show is about, uh, Roxanne. It's about people's politeness and their unwillingness to break apart from uh, the people they're hanging out with, you know, uh, because they're afraid of violating social norms. So, so we're what we're just like Stanford prison experimenting in Sicily. This is the the White Lotus. It's the White Lotus Milgram Stanley Milgram edition. <laughs> anyway, 
I guess I am I am more sympathetic to Daphne in this episode and especially in those noto scenes because mm-hmm. she seems like someone again sort of that Rachel. She seems to me like if Rachel I mean, Rachel does stay with Shane, but she sort of seems to me like Rachel, like five to 10 years later, like she's made a lot of personal allowances to stay married and she's doing this whole like happy facade thing, but she's clearly resentful. And I think that she's trying to figure out the ways to let out that resentment, but not in a way, not in a severe enough way to break up the marriage. So she knows there's like power inequality, right, within her relationship with Cam. Um, but however way she has like the the mind gymnastics she's done to reconcile that include simultaneously pitying him, which is where the bull elephant's name comes from. She tells a story about how elephants uh, like within their family units, men are kicked out and they're like forced to go be lonely. So I think she is sort of created a lot of sympathy that she feels for her husband conceptually but in terms of the actual nitty-gritty of their relationship sort of wants to punish him right i think yeah i i I think for me the question is you know at, at the end she's having dialogue with harper and she says like i'm not a victim right like right yes cam cheats on me but yes. I'm not a victim. I do what I want. I get what I want out of this relationship. And she tries to yeah. like shape it into like an empowering thing where she's like, it's not a guy cheating on me. It's like, I'm getting what I want out of this marriage. And yeah. did you buy it, Roxana? That's, that's the question is like, do you, do you buy that she's not a victim or? I think she buys that she believes that she's not a victim. Mm-hmm. You, you, you think know, like, she I believes think... it, but yeah. Like, like I guess yeah. like there is um, a lot of talk in society these days about like about the the concept of victimhood sure and in is simply not thinking of oneself as a victim sufficient to not be a victim right like right. i think that's a very reasonable point of view right that like I, I, yeah all, all, I think... being a victim is just all about how you conceptualize it in your head sure um, i also think that and this could just be my uh like inherent uh classist perspective is sort of like how much of a victim are you if you have access to finance and funding and means of sort of making your life better or at least easier i mean that's probably a really terrible thing to have asked on a podcast but i think she doesn't consider herself a victim because she knows she's rich right i mean look at all the stuff that she can do so i think if she is thinking of it as well, my husband makes money and I'm going to spend his money and I'm going to spend it however I want, yeah. then that allows her to not consider herself a victim of what he chooses to do. And I will also say that I'm sure that there are tons of relationships that are like this, where there's sort of an implicit, the other person, each of us does what we want. We're not going to get divorced. We have means and it is what it is. I don't know how much the agreement is voiced here. I think the problem again is like Dom lying to himself about wanting to get better and sort of like his cheating, hurting his family. I think if we had a sense that cat, that cam and Daphne, you know, had like an agreement that each of them could do whatever they wanted. And like, that was fine. I think that would be different than what we're seeing, which is that cam is lying. Daphne is playing like power games and each of them refuses to sort of, see themselves as an abuser or a victim respectively yeah those those are all fair points uh i do think the money plays a huge role in it and the idea that she's extracting financial value out of the arrangement it it, like you know limits her capacity to be a victim to some degree but we've seen tons of situations like (laughs) i i think there's just many situations where people um can still be victimized in profound ways, even if they are in, you know, even if they're rich. Right. And certainly I think that's one of the theses of the show uh, in general. Um, So what I liked about this whole Harper Daphne stuff is that the first two episodes, like 95% of what we see about Daphne and Cam is like, Oh wow. These two, they're both beautiful. 
they get along, their relationship seems awesome. Um, you know, who who wouldn't want a relationship like this? And then in this episode, it turns to no one would, in my opinion. Like, I mean, maybe you would if you're into this kind of stuff, but like, I'm like, dude, this seems pretty effed up to me. Like, I, you know, and and you get the sense that this this exterior is hiding something much darker. You know, where Cam sleeps with prostitutes and Daphne. Um, plays these power games with him to like psychologically dominate him. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's, um, yeah. Like, I just like that. One thing the show is trying to say, I think is like, things are not always what they seem. Right. So anyway, I think that's very fair. I also think that, uh, hmm, how to say this very nicely. I think that this show sort of makes those allowances for the wealthy in particular mm-hmm. in a way that I can understand is off-putting to certain people. Mm-hmm. Like I do think, you know, if you wanted to take like a purely sort of like devil's advocate, I guess, view of this show. And I think this is what I was trying to say uh, not very gracefully is like seemingly from what we've seen of this relationship so far, Daphne is like materially fine. Yes. Right. Like they are wealthy. She has means. She has resources. Like there is not a situation in which she seemingly like goes to bed, like not knowing what's going to happen the next day. Like there is a cocoon of wealth and prestige here mm-hmm. um, that allows for a certain level of happiness. So I think, you know, that's sometimes I think where criticism comes from of this show is like you're making me feel uh, like empathy and sympathy for these people who have the capacity to be terrible. But at the end of the day, like they're protected by their capital and yeah. there's nothing to do to change that. So I think that is sort of playing out with this situation. The other thing that is sort of hard for me, uh, and I'm curious where the season goes, um, is I feel like we have set up a dynamic right now where like, all of the men are sort of inherently bad mm-hmm. and all of the women are sort of inherently being preyed upon. And mm-hmm. so I'm just, I'm curious if we get a more complicated uh, sort of like gender binary than that, or like, mm-hmm. you know, cishet roles. Um, or if we're sort of just saying, if the show is just saying like, well, all men to a certain degree will take advantage of women and all women to a certain degree will sort of be harpies and trying to fight back. I don't, I don't know, but I'm mm-hmm. just a little worried that all of the relationships seem to be mirroring that so far. Mm-hmm. Is that the thing you're worried about that you want yeah. to mention? Yeah. That's the gotcha. thing I'm worried yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. Like whether, whether, um, there's going to be a little more variety in how these gender dynamics play out. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. A mm. um, couple of other things to mention about the episode before we wrap up. First, first of all, uh, Daphne does allude to other guys that Cam works with that are really ev- like pure evil. And I'm like, right. dude, Cam seems pretty horrifying already, personally. Right. Like, I can't imagine who she's even talking about because they must be really messed up. Yeah. Um, but wanted to just mention that. Like, he's like the good one of these awful people, right. apparently. Um. There's also a couple of interesting scenes about the male gaze. Uh, Mm -hmm. The episode opens with Valentina, the hotel manager, walking into a cafe and then shouting down a guy who is kind of uh, flirting with her. Um, There's also a scene later on with Daphne and Harper where they go shopping and then uh, Daphne steps out for like a split second. And then all of a sudden Harper feels like, you know, the, the, the looks of, dozens of men converging like a upon swarm her. of men like a everywhere swarm, you know yeah. yeah um and uh yeah i thought it's worth noting you know what that, that the show like depicts these scenes i'm curious roxana if you had any reaction to those well i think just the scene with daphne is sort of what furthered my is this the only read we're gonna get of what men do and what women do like are we gonna get more than this sense of um Every man is waiting for a woman to be alone so he can take advantage of her. I just want a little bit more than that. But again, I mean, the shot, the scene was beautifully shot. Like we get this very long walk where I believe sound drops out, right? Yeah. And we sort of, yeah, yeah, we both like pan and tilt and there are men everywhere. There are men on the stairs above her. There are men waiting out of frame. Uh, So I thought it was effective. I'm just hoping that we get maybe something 
deeper in episodes yeah. to come. Yeah, and what equally as effective was like how quickly they dispersed after. Yeah, they're um, just gone. After Daphne comes back, they're just like, oh, right. well, they're going right. to somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah. but I think what what you're saying is, um, other than Daphne kind of having this self empowerment ideal, right? Like the the show's perspective on men is pretty one sided so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would also argue that Albie seems like a decent dude, but for some reason that is you know, not a view that you have any sympathy with, but like, Mm-mm. but you know, um, but, uh, yeah. I think um, Ethan is our greatest outlier, mm, except yeah. for, again, I wonder why he's staying on this vacation. Yeah. It could but just no, be social no pressure. for Albie. Absolutely not. No. Really? Wow. No. No. I, I would say, I would say of the episodes, this one is the one where like, he comes off the worst out of the three yeah. episodes because yes. he's like, he's clearly trying to hang out with Portia when she doesn't want to hang with him anymore. Like that's just, right. you know, like he's not picking up on the cues. So yeah. no, but I will say again, I do also put, you know, like as much as it's fun to, you know, complain about Albie again, <laughs> I do totally think fun. that P- Portia, Portia is not being honest either. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Portia should be honest, but I think she is using him as a way to have something to do. So she doesn't have to be around Tanya. So they're each using each other to a certain mm-hmm. degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it could be, uh, it could have a little bit more clarity if Portia was seemingly more honest and if Albie were more self-aware. Everybody's other- bad. That's the message <laughs> of the show. Everyone sucks. Any other thoughts on season two, episode three of The White Lotus, Roxana? I don't think so. I think we, think right. we covered it. I enjoyed the episode. Lot, lots going on. Curious to see how this is going to reverberate through the rest of the season. Specifically, how Ethan and Harper are going to handle what happened this episode. Like that's mm-hmm. going to be interesting to to how that plays out. A lot of interesting social dynamics. So I'm digging the show. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Find us on YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter at decodingtv. Uh, and if you want to support this show, if you're enjoying this podcast and you're like, hey, I want to make sure stuff like this can happen again in the future, uh, more podcasts like this can happen, uh, more co-hosts, different co-hosts, et cetera. Uh, not that people don't love the current set of co-hosts. I'm just saying, like, if you want to keep this a going concern, uh, become a member at DecodingTV.com and you can get ad-free episodes as well as exclusive uh, access to bonus episodes and early episodes. So DecodingTV.com is where you can support podcasts such as this one. Okay. Roxana Haddadi, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? You can find me at Vulture and you can find me on Twitter. And I already said where you can find all of our stuff at Decoding TV. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week for season two, episode four of The White Lotus. Goodbye. Bye.